Good morning. Okay, now I think we do. If we have space, if y'all could squeeze to the middle so we could, people could get in, that would be awesome. We got a few spaces up here, too, in the front. Um, I'm Matt, pastor here at Midtown West. Welcome. Really glad you're here worshiping with us. Um, as, as has already been said, this is, we're, we're celebrating Advent, which is, uh, Advent means coming, and we are people who live in between the comings of Jesus. He came as a baby. Uh, he is coming again as a conquering king. And so we are in Isaiah, this, this book of prophetic word to God's people who are in a hard place, uh, awaiting his salvation. And so, um, you know, as we talk about these themes of Advent, those, those are themes that uh, Christians have historically, at, at some point in the early two, three hundreds, Advent became a thing, became part of the calendar. And each week has this different theme because we believe that these are things that we desire, that we need, um, hope and peace and, and love and joy. And so uh, what we are recognizing with candles uh, is that this, the world can be dark. The world can be very dark. We live in that darkness. We experience that darkness every day, every week. And uh, the lighting of a candle is like Jesus's first coming. It is this, the, the light breaking through the darkness. Uh, and we believe as Christians that when he returns, that one day as this light is rippling through all of creation, that it will one day fill everything and every creature with his glory. And everything will be be made to be as ex exactly as it was intended to be. All the desires, all the hopes of our hearts will be fulfilled for all eternity in our, our deep and perfect intimacy with him and with, it, with each other. So today as we think about joy, um, my mind went back to, uh, some of you all know this, this game, but I was thinking about, uh, as a Tennessee fan, I got to experience some, some joy this year with um, the Alabama victory. Um, go Vols. But I was thinking about this, this game that maybe was the, the wildest ending of a college football game, um, or arguably one of them. 1982, Cal versus Stanford. Y'all know this, this game, this play? Okay, so um, Stanford, John Elway was their quarterback. He was like, you know, is one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play. Came into Cal Stadium, uh, essentially had already beat them. They were up by one point with four seconds left, and all they had to do was, was kick off. And so uh, they had just kicked a field goal to go up by one. Uh, the kickoff was, was the only thing ahead of them, and the band was already, the Stanford band was already celebrating on the field. And so I just want to show the, the clip here. I love that video so much. I love, I love the needless spiking of the ball on the Stanford band member's face. <laughs> it's just a, like exclamation point, just cap it off. Um, and I love like listening to the announcer. You can hear when the surprise of joy breaks into his voice. They're probably going to squib it. Okay, here's the kick. He's got to get out of bounds. No, he's going to lateral. And then all of a sudden it's like, 
he's still up. They still have the ball. You know, and it, like all of a sudden it just starts to break in. But um, I was reading about that play or that moment, and they said that in the cow huddle right before the kickoff, uh, one of the guys who was going to be on the field just looked at the rest of his teammates and said, listen, don't let anyone get tackled with the ball. Just don't go down with the ball. And that's what he told him. And so, I mean, that's, that's this picture of, of hope and faith, which are these things that are very closely tied to joy. Uh, because if you think about joy, um, I don't know, let me ask you, what, what comes to mind when, when I say joy? If, I, if I'm asking you to describe joy, give me some thoughts on how would you define that? Awareness of God's grace. Okay, so something I want to pull from that is something, nice. Hey, um, two points for you. Um, no, it's, it's just that you don't get it for yourself. It's grace. Okay, what else? Happy, yeah. Celebration, what else? Surprise. What else? Laughter. Give me more. Give me some more. What? Contentment. More? You guys ever felt joy before? <laughs> give, me, give me one more. Genuine. Yeah, I mean, you think about joy. The thing about joy that's different from happiness is it's this mixture of there, there is surprise. There is this thing, it's coming from outside of yourself. It's this delight. And, and I think the word delight captures a lot of like this surprise of something that is very enjoyable. Um, and it's, it's being, I think, delighted by the improbable. That there's this there's su surprise of like, I did not expect that to happen. And I'm so glad it did. And there's this, this peace and this wonder and this humility of like, I, I don't know everything. You have to be childlike to experience joy because you, you cannot be proud. There's no way to look like too cool when you're experiencing joy. It's just like reckless abandon, like that a commentator just flipping out. I don't even know what I'm saying. Words are just coming out of my mouth. I'm just celebrating. And it's, uh, it's, it's this thing that I can't, you know, as Caroline alluded to, I cannot get it for myself. It's outside of myself. Um, yeah, and, it, and it's the, again, it's this humility of um, there can't be the cynicism of, well, I know how this is going to end. You know, because when, it, when we start going there, it's like we just shut down the ability to experience joy. So um, we were made for joy, but we, we oftentimes don't know how to find it. And that's, that's what the Lord's talking to us about today in our passage. So um, who's reading our scripture this morning? Awesome. Come on up, Ellie. And if y'all want to turn there, we're going to be um, starting in Isaiah chapter 8 with verse 11. We're going to read uh, 11 and 12 from chapter 8, and then 21 and 22. That just leads us into the first seven verses of chapter 9. For the Lord's... We'll see. Yeah. Uh, for the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me, and warned me not to walk in the way of this people saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry, and when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God, and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, 
and they will be thrust into thick darkness. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep dark darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon, upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we are, we are here in your presence as we, we gather every week. You call us to gather because you want to give us yourself. You want to give us good gifts. And there's a, a way that you meet us in this place when we're all together that is unlike the way that you meet us any other time. You call us here because it's good for us, not because you need to feel good about yourself by having a lot of followers. But you call us here to give us good gifts. You, as Jess told us this morning, she proclaimed the truth that we come here to, to practice this reality of joy, this, this joy that's breaking in, that, that has begun to break in, that will fully be experienced. And it is so vital to our lives and to our souls that we live in and practice this joy, even as we live still in a place of darkness where light is, is just cracking in in these, these various different locations, but we can't fully see what you have already made sure, which is the coming light that, that fills everything with your glory and fills all of us to the fullest with your glory. Everything we've ever desired, all of the joy, all of the improbable, all of, all of the things that delight, all of the things uh, that we are hoping so badly are true, will be experienced in you, and we say thank you for that. And now, as we live in these in-between times of your coming, the already but not yet, we ask that you would come now and strengthen us through your word, that you would open our eyes, you would convict us of sin, you would turn us away from things that lead to death and turn us toward you and life, and that we would experience life to the fullest in you, that, that you would be our greatest joy, our greatest desire, our greatest hope, that you would be our peace, you and what you've done. And so, Lord, come do that now. If there's anything that I prepared to say that uh, is not from you, would you just strike it down? If there's anything that I would say that uh, you want me to say something else instead, I pray that you do that, Lord, because we are yours, and it's your word that gives life. And uh, we ask this in your name. Amen. Okay, so, so this people that this message came to, we've talked about this a little bit the last couple weeks. Um, God's people, they are experiencing this reality of this darkness and this coming darkness. They are under God's judgment because they're not living 
out of faith. They're not living by faith. They're not trusting him. It's really like all of God's people, uh, most of God's people have become, as, as you might encounter people of various faiths today, who that faith is more of a cultural thing and not a spiritual thing. And so you talk to people and they go through all of these rituals and they go through these weekly activities that are all about God. And then you have a conversation with them and you say, so tell me what you believe about God. I'm like, oh, I don't believe God exists. Oh, okay. I, I, yeah, I just believe that, you know, this is something my family's always done. It makes me feel good. So this is something that I do for those reasons. And, and really, God's people were, most of them were in that place as, as this word came from God to Isaiah to give to his people, is that you, you have not followed me. You have not obeyed me. You do not even believe that life is found in me. You're finding life or trying to in all these other ways. And because of that, I, I have to send judgment. And, and I've, I've borne with you, I've, I've kept with you, I've dwelt with you for so long, I've extended so much mercy, and, and now the judgment is coming. And it's coming by way of this powerful nation called Assyria that's going to come down from the north and just wipe you out. Um, but it's this weird message uh, of judgment, but also hope. And so, um, but we're going to start in, in chapter 8 here, and, and we really need to hear this. For the Lord spoke thus to me, that's Isaiah, with his strong hand upon me. It's like he just, he, he made Isaiah know, hey, you really need to listen to this. And I'm, life is found in me in the words that I'm giving you. You've got to pay attention to this and you've got to let this sink down deep into your soul. His strong hand upon me, he warned me not to walk in the way of this people saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. These people were, were going around, going through life just like everybody else who did not know God. They were living by conventional wisdom, living by worldly wisdom, trying to find life in the things that the people around them were trying to find life in. And when something went wrong, there was always an explanation for it that had nothing to do with them and their refusal to follow God. And so when Isaiah said, when God said to Isaiah, do not follow them, they are, they are on this, this endless path where they will find nothing because they refuse to address the one thing that is the root of all of this, which is their refusal to live with me and follow me. And so don't follow them into calling everything a conspiracy. It's not about this people group out here that needs to lose power or gain power. It's not about these people in my family. It's not about these people in my life. It's not about all the crazy things that are going on in the world. Don't listen to them. Don't follow them. Here's what you need to listen to. We, we read verse 21. I'm going to back up and just read the verse before that, verse 20 of chapter 8. He says, to the teaching and to the testimony, in other words, go to my word to you. Go to the word of God that is unchanging, that is infallible, that is for your good, that is here to guide you, that is here to lead you to life, that is full of promises. Go to the teaching and to the testimony. Don't go to what they're saying out there. Don't go to what they're saying is the problem and don't go to what they're saying is the solution. All of those things have their place. But what, what you base your life and your ultimate reality on is what I have said because that is the only thing that is firm and fixed and unchanging, and that is the only source, the one who spoke that word is the only one who really loves you. 
who always will love you, who will always be faithful, who will always be full of steadfast love for you. So go to the teaching and to the testimony, and if they won't speak according to this word, it's because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. These people will, will throw off all of my words. And then when things go poorly, they will shake their fist at me. They are, they're in so much darkness, so much confusion, so much distress that they don't even know which way is up. They're angry and they're pointing their finger at everyone and everything because they're demanding to have life on their own terms. And when it doesn't work out, when the things that I have said over and over again will not fulfill you and bring you lasting joy, when they keep ramming their heads into the wall because they're so angry that those things won't give them lasting joy, then they turn and they shake their fist at me. They're full of rage at me, the only one who really loves them and who is trying to lead them to life. It says they will turn their faces upward to do that. And then it says they will look, next they will look to the earth. They will look down to the earth to try to find life and happiness and peace and all the things. But behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. And y'all, we, we have got to do business with this passage. Because it is, it is entirely too easy for me, for you, for us to be the people of God and to gather and do this every week and to do the other things that we do, to spend time in the Word, to listen to worship songs, to, to meet together in our groups, to, you know, whatever it is, to know the lingo, to do the things, to celebrate the holidays, all of that. But when something happens, when something disrupts our plan, when something disrupts our life, then our cards are revealed. And that's why those moments are a blessing. Even, even when they feel like hell on earth, when they feel like devastation, those moments are a blessing from God because he is showing us you're not who you think you are. And you're not where you think you are. You're actually just like everybody else who does not know me and does not give a care about me. And I know that because I look at the way you live and I look at the way you respond to my word and my instruction. And when somebody wants to speak words of life into you and to, to correct and guide you somewhere else, you don't want to listen. And when I tell you where to find life and that it's free and that it's, it's for you and you don't have to pay anything. I think about Isaiah 55. Come, come to the waters, everybody who's thirsty and come and buy everything you could ever want and ever need without money. Without cost, it's free to you. Come and enjoy me, the one who made you. And we just say, no. Nah. No, actually, I'll, I would like anything other than that. Look, I mean, just look at how you've spent the last week. Like, how little we have delighted in God, how little we have taken his word seriously, how little we have followed him and said, you know, this is one thing. I mean, we can gather, we can gather some things that we, we need and that are helpful from everybody else's voices, but am I really planting a flag? And is his word the thing that sends me in a direction? 
Is his word the thing that develops convictions of the deepest reality in me that I live out of? And for most of us, most of the time, the answer is no. And we find ourselves when things blow up, our our true colors are revealed. You did this to me. You're not paying attention to me. And it's not, it's not to shame us because I'm right there with you. But it's to say, this is such a mercy that he draws our attention to this moment. To say, I love you too much to leave you in that place. I love you too much to leave you in that place. And so we just have to stop here before we get to the next chapter and just confess what is true about me. What is true about us, that as we live in the already but the not yet, it is too easy to try to manufacture my own joy in things that will not give me joy. It is too easy to demand God show up for me in certain ways, and that if that doesn't happen, then I'm not going to be okay. And I'm the one who's driving the ship. I'm the one who's decided, (laughs) think about Captain Phillips, I'm the captain now. I'm the one who is deciding, like, this is what has to be, and if you don't meet me on my terms, then whatever the the pronouncement of judgment is, then you're not real, you don't love me, you don't care, you're not powerful, whatever it is. And everything's a conspiracy, but it's, I'm not, I'm not looking with, with clear eyes right here. And so God, God says, yes, you are going to be judged. Yes, you are about to experience pain. And the people who don't really follow God, the people who take his word very lightly, and the people who do still follow God and who do look to him and who do go to the word and to the testimony, they are all together. And guess what? They are about to all experience this pain together. And he says... But in verse 9, or in chapter 9, verse 1, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. He's saying, you are all going to experience pain. But for those who are with me, there will be no more gloom. And I want you to listen to how he says this. What he is talking about here is the Assyrian invasion that is going to wipe northern Israel off the map, never to return. And that invasion hasn't happened yet. But listen to how he talks about it. There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish, as if that invasion has already happened. In the former time that hasn't happened yet, (laughs) he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. So those regions, the God's, the promised land for God's people has been split into like 12 different tribes. And Zebulun and Naphtali were the two lands that were the closest to where the, it was where the Assyrians were going to invade through. They were the first two parts of the promised land that were going to get conquered as they were coming in to conquer all of the promised land. And so God is saying in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, uh, in former time, they were brought into contempt. It was almost like they had been forgotten about because they were the first ones to fall. They were the first ones. It was through them that the the conquering enemy was going to come and destroy everything. 
But in the latter time, God has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And so here, he's saying the former time that hasn't happened yet, that's about to happen, they are going to be in contempt. They're going to be easily forgotten, first to fall, most vulnerable. But in the latter time, which hasn't happened yet either, that's coming a long time after this, they will be highly regarded. They will experience God's glory. They will be the first to welcome in uh, the nations. The nations will no longer be this fear of threat. It, it's not going to be terrible to be on the outskirts where you're the first ones where people from other nations are going to come in and attack. Now it's going to be a thing in the latter times where it's a, it's a place of privilege because you get to welcome in the nations who are coming to join this kingdom. It's so sure. What I want us to see here is that what he is saying, he's talking to these people like this glory, this good thing has already happened when it won't happen for hundreds of years. The people who are hearing this message will not get to experience the goodness of the glory that's coming in latter times while they walk the earth. All they are going to get to experience is the conquering of the Assyrians. So what's up? Is he crazy? What is he doing? Is this, like, cruel? No, no, no. He's telling them that this is so sure. It's actually really, really good for us to be here in this place and, and to learn this from him. He's saying that this joy that is coming, this peace, this hope that is coming, everything that you're desiring, the flourishing that you desire and long for with all of your heart, is so sure in its coming that I'm already talking about it in past tense. You know, we haven't talked enough about my ACL, and so <laughs> we need to get back to the ACL. <laughs> if you don't know, I'm a little bit of a hero because I tore my ACL doing something really cool, and, uh, and I'm four weeks out of surgery. I know, I know, it's amazing. But thank you, thank you. Um, but it's, it's like the way that, you know, when I, I, I run, I bike, I do things like that. And, and as I, I'm in PT and they are helping me get to that place, I'm not in a, a, a place of just loss. And I can't believe this has happened and I'm, I feel confused and there's no place for me to go. I'm actually seeing the fruit of what is happening of the way that these people are working with me, my leg getting stronger. I'm, each week, I'm kind of able to do a little bit more and a little bit more. And there's a reality in which I'm living in the future already in the present. I, I know my, my body, my mind knows the way to those places where I can run and I can ride a bike and I can do these things that I love to do. I know that feeling. And so I'm living in that reality that, yes, I'm not there today, but that day is coming. And that's why I'm not totally just thrown apart and strewn out all over the road is because I know that, that yeah, yeah, it's, it's not right now, but it's coming. And I'm living in the future of what I know is coming. And that's what, that's what Isaiah, that's what God is doing through Isaiah for these people is you, it is, it is going to get very dark. And you don't have to fear the darkness because the victory, the light that is breaking in is so sure that I'm already talking about it in past tense. We've already experienced it. Remember, God operates outside of time and space. 
And so when he says that, we can believe him, we can trust him. I mean, think about going back to the video. What if one of the Cal players had said, hey, guys, right before that kickoff huddle, hey, we've already won. This is so awesome. I can't believe we beat Stanford. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And like, that's how this, this word is coming to these people of like, no, 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 things are terrible and they're getting worse. So yeah, yeah, but that is going to be a blip on the radar of the screen of all of history, all of eternity, where you and I are going to be together forever. And you don't have to fear any of this. There is no, there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish because of what has already happened in the coming latter times. So then we get into this, the experience of this. Verses two through four is the people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. What we're about to read here is he is saying that joy is breaking through in every, every facet, every aspect of joy you could ever imagine is about to all break through at the same time. Joy completely unleashed, joy in every area of your life. The people who walked in darkness. It's like saying all we know is darkness. All we know is confusion. All we know is distress. All we know is hopelessness. But wait, wait, there's light. I expected more darkness. But look, there's actually a light that's breaking through. We've never seen this before. It's like the moment when the commentator realizes that this could actually happen. Your voice changes. Your heart changes. Your mindset changes. We expected more abuse from our enemies, but look. Wait, wait, it looks like we're actually getting stronger. We expected more emptiness and more hunger, but look, there's an abundant harvest. We've got to figure out where to put all of this harvest because it's way more than we need. And we expected more defeat, but look, we won. We, wait, we won. And, and now there's spoil of war to be divided up because we won. And now we've got to figure out what to do with all of this wealth that used to belong to our enemy. And this happens because the yoke of our burden, the staff for our shoulder, the rod of our oppressor that has beat us into the ground, the rod of slavery to sin, the rod of slavery to all that makes me live like what we talked about in verse 8, to try to find life on my own terms in any way possible apart from God. It says that we are, until we come to Christ, until Jesus opens our eyes to him, we are enslaved by the enemy of God, the one who rules the way the things are now in this world. It says that he, by his power, blinds those who are not in Christ. And we live just under the beatdown, the constant beatdown of hopelessness and shame and guilt and loss and terror and fear. We have lived under the rod of our impressor. He has beat us upon the shoulder and upon the head. He has put a heavy yoke on our backs to bear, and we are stumbling and falling through the mud as we go through this life with this giant weight on our backs that we can't do anything about to get off. But it says that you, God, in past tense, have broken, as on the day of Midian, the rod of the oppressor, the yoke that he put on our backs, the staff that he beat us with, What he says there, as on the day of Midian, the day of Midian was a battle when God kept winnowing down 
his army. He said, no, you still have too many people. Nope, you still have too many people. And he kept splitting it in half, splitting it in half, and everybody's panicking, like, what are you doing? And finally, we're left with just a, a fraction, a tiny fraction of what the other army had, of, of the amount of people and weapons that they were about to go face. And they won, and they won in such a way that was unbelievable. The impossible has happened. This shows that the only way that we could have won is, is God and what he has done and what he is capable and what he is doing in our midst. And that's what this is saying, is this day that is so sure that it's coming when the staff of your oppressor, the rod of slavery, he snaps like a twig in his infinite power, in his might, in his glory. How is he going to do it? He's going to do it like he did it on the day of Midian where it looks like it's not going to be enough. How is he going to take the boots of all the warriors that have made a, a terror of an earthquake and the loud resounding in our ears that have brought us to fear all the time and all the garments rolled in blood from the wounds that we've experienced and the bleeding out against our enemy? How is he going to take all of that and roll it up and throw it in the fire where we have no memory of it and it's just gone? He's, he is going to defeat our cruel, powerful enemy with a child. By giving us a child, a baby, one who is born, one who comes and is given to us by the Father. What? Like you're not going to come in this power and just destroy? No. No, no, no. In fact, I'm sending... A, a baby, and he is going to grow up and do what you have not been able to do. He's going to grow up and live by every word of God. He is going to desire me and delight in me perfectly. He is going to be absolutely holy, unlike me, unlike us, so that he can be hung on a cross to die in our place and that his death would actually mean something. Because he's holy, he is not dying for his own sin. Because he's holy, he doesn't have to die at all. And so when he dies, he can die for us. He can take all of, all of what is due us, all of the rod of our oppressor, all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our fear of condemnation, our fear of God's judgment, everything that has us down and beaten under this yoke of slavery, he will wage war by going to the cross. And dominion now rests on his shoulders forever because first the yoke and rod of slavery rested there first. Now dominion and government and all of God's kingdom for all eternity rests on his shoulders because first he knew what it was to take the rod of the oppressor on his shoulders for us. And like the cow game, it looked so impossible that our enemy was already celebrating and it's the best part of the video when Jesus just body slams the enemy in the end zone <laughs> and spikes the football on his face, <laughs> bringing judgment and defeat down on his own head. And listen to this. This is from Isaiah 53, later, later in this book of prophecy. Isaiah 53, 11 and 12. Out of the anguish of his soul, Jesus, he shall see and be satisfied, and by his knowledge shall the righteous one my servant, make many to be counted righteous, and he will bear their sins. 
And therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. The spoil that we talked about that's being divided is the souls of men. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death. It says that he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Who are the strong? It's us. It's his people. And what makes us strong is not our strength. What makes us strong is the strength of our belief in his strength. I want to say that differently. It's not that we come up with the strength of our faith. It's that he gives us faith as a gift. But what is strong is our dependence on him. He will carry us through this. I was, I was thinking about this, like, we are so terrified of disappointment. We are so terrified of pain. We are so terrified of darkness. And often, I don't know why this image came to me, but I was thinking about, like, the house elves from Harry Potter. Um, I was thinking about, like, Creature and how ugly and disgusting he looks. And it's, it's like when we have these moments where we are forced to recognize and live in the darkness of this world, it's like having one of those little creepy house elves standing next to us, like wanting to take us somewhere. And I'm like, listen, I, I'm not going anywhere with you. <laughs> like, I want to stay as far away from you and everything you represent as possible. I'm going to go over here where everybody's attractive, where everybody's successful, where, you know, on and on and on, where good things are and my life is just going up and to the right. And it's like, okay, and then goes away. <laughs> and then another opportunity for pain or disappointment or loss, and he shows back up again. He's like, hey. And, and finally, by God's mercy, what he is doing is he's getting us to a place where we will take this little creepy person called disappointment by the hand and let him lead us somewhere good. Because what's happening is we are still enamored with everything here that this world has to offer. And we think, maybe this time it'll be different. Maybe this time I can level up and maybe everything's going to work out in the way that I date or in my job or in my career or whatever it is. Maybe I can get attractive enough. Maybe I can get whatever it is enough to enjoy everything here because that's where I think joy is. And God's saying, no, 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 no. You got to follow me. That's what it means to follow Jesus, to go down, 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 down. And we don't have to be afraid of going down. We don't have to be afraid of the darkness because what he's doing is he is breaking us through to a new reality where we can see for the first time and see, oh, oh, wow. Like this, all that I was so enamored with is meaningless. It has its purpose, but it's, it's not for what I thought it was, which was my ultimate satisfaction and identity. And oh, wow, like you are beautiful and amazing and wonderful and your love for me is captivating. And now all I want to do is follow you. And wherever you want to lead is where I want to go because I can trust you now because you're taking me somewhere good. You've never, never disappointed me. You've led me to places I didn't want to go. You've allowed me to live through pain but you have never disappointed me and you've always been faithful and your love for me is unchanging. We have to let the pain and the darkness of this life do its good work to lead us to a place where we can actually experience joy for the first time. Because until we do, we demand We demand joy on our own terms. And when I demand joy, I'm not childlike anymore. And I'm not surprised by joy. And I'm not receiving it. I'm not humble. 
When I demand it, I close the door, and I cannot experience joy. But when I will receive it, when I will trust, when I will go to the Word and go to the testimony and say, even when things look crazy, and it looks like this is impossible, and it looks like what you are telling me to do and how you're telling me to live and what's going to happen looks totally impossible, you're saying, I'm just asking you to trust me. And when I can start to say yes to that, now everything becomes possible and joy becomes a reality that I can even live in now before I experience all of it. Because this king, he is the wonderful counselor who leads us to wisdom. He is the mighty God who can do all the things that he wants to see happen. He is the king who rules like an everlasting father who loves us and is tender and is kind. And he is the prince of peace. And what that phrase means is he is the one who can make everything as it should be for all time, and there will be no ending of his government. There will be no ending of his rule. It will be established. It will spread throughout all creation. Justice and righteousness everywhere from this time forth and forevermore. And we know that this is going to happen because the love, the zeal, the fierce love of our God, his fierce commitment to us, is going to see this through because he is so committed to us. And so when we worship, as we go back into worship, uh, as Jess was leading us this morning, when we worship, we are not raising our hands and, and clapping and saying amen or doing all these things that I wish we did a lot more, honestly. Um, we're not doing those things because we're coming in victorious. And we're saying, look at me, guys, look how awesome I feel. I'm just going to clap and raise my hands. No, no, we're fighting for joy. We're fighting, we're embodied souls, we're fighting to believe that this is true. And as I do those things in faith, even when we don't feel like it, something is happening. I am childlike. I'm raising my hands and saying, I know this feels crazy. I know this sounds crazy. Because the last thing I feel like doing is raising my hands and singing songs of praise to you because I feel lost and I don't know where you are. But as we do that, by faith, then we watch the improbable happen. Oh, wow, I did not expect that. I did not expect you to show up like that. But in order to enjoy that moment when, when Cal wins, I've got to be at the game. I've got to still be in my seat. I've got to still be watching the game or else I'm going to miss all the joy. And so as we go this week, um, I, I pray for me and for us that we will not be the people who leave the stadium and go try to make life happen on our own terms. Well, that was really disappointing, so now I'm just going to go, um, going to go drink some more. I'm going to go work some more, I'm going to go veg out some more, I'm going to go whatever it is. Would we be the people who by God's strength and by God's grace would stay in this moment, would lock eyes with our Savior and listen to him say, hey, 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 I know, but just stay with me. Just don't let the ball hit the ground. And even when we do let the ball hit the ground, he picks it up because that's who he is. He is so powerful, he is so loving, he's so good. Father, thank you for um, everything. Thank you for all the ways that you love us. Thank you for all that you have done, all that you are doing, and all that you will do. And Lord, as we raise our voices to praise you, as we raise our voices to fight for joy, Lord, would you lead us, um, would you lead us into places where we can uh, live wholeheartedly? Would you knock the cynical rust off of our hearts and help us to live like little children? who look to you, who expect 
you to show up somehow, some way, even when it's not what we wanted to see. And Lord, would you move in our lives this week? Would you lead us to, to ways of living to where we are, we are basing everything off of you and what you say? Lord, would we let you change us to where you become our greatest hope, our greatest joy, our greatest goal to just be with you? And would you make the things of this world uh, lose their luster so that we can finally, finally, finally start to taste the life and the joy, the appetizer of what is surely coming, so sure that you speak about it in past tense. And we on the other side of the cross are so in, in such a better position because now you dwell in us. We have so much more than these people have when this word first came to them. So thank you for being so kind, so faithful, so good, Lord. Keep us close. Give us your strength. Keep our eyes on you. We ask this in your name. Amen.